We interrupt this broadcast with some important news. Let's rewind and check out the biggest news stories from this week. It's time time for Taiwan This Week. Good evening and welcome to Taiwan This Week with me, your host, Gavin Phipps. And I'm joined in the studio this evening by Michael Fahey, a legal consultant from Winkler Partners. Good evening. And on the telephone by ICRT Southern Taiwan correspondent and regular commentator, Michael Smith. Thanks for having me, Gavin. Tonight we'll be discussing tomorrow's recall vote against Kaohsiung Mayor Han Guoyu, a triple stimulus voucher program that's finally been announced. The Ministry of Foreign Affairs is plans to rank countries based on their coronavirus risks to determine how to reopen the island's borders. Immigration issues, plans to offer rewards for information concerning foreign nationals that overstay here, and the loss of one of Taiwan's most talked-about bookstores. But we'll begin with tomorrow being June the 6th, a day which will either be one of infamy or joy, depending on what side of the political fence you happen to sit on, as residents of Kaohsiung will be heading to polling stations to cast their ballots in a recall election against City Mayor Hang Yu. Now, of course, this all began last summer. God, we've talked about it so many times, it feels like it's been going on for longer than that, but it hasn't. It's last summer when the Citizens' Mowing Action and the We Care Kaohsiung groups began the initial signature drive to remove Hand from office. So, voting day is finally here, and I guess our chap in Kaohsiung, Michael Smith there, will tell us whether the people in the city are happy it's all over nearly, regardless of how they plan to cast their ballots. Well, I guess I can't speak for all the residents of the city, but I'm certainly going to be very pleased. I'm hoping that by about 7 p.m. or so we will have a result, and uh, that'll be that. Uh, Because, yes, the the airwaves... uh, the streets, the television stations have been flooded with nothing but Han, 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 and yeah, it's, uh, it's just too much. So back in 2018, we had the Han Leo of him coming in and then meteorically rising, and that was also just excessive. And then we've had this. So it's been, it feels like it's been two solid years of just focused on, on this guy. And yeah, I'm, I'm really looking forward to it being over. And, of course, there's been some controversy. It hasn't, it hasn't gone smoothly. The petition went smoothly. It went further than most people thought. But in recent weeks, there's been a bit of controversy here. Oh, more than a, more than a bit of controversy. Um, let's put it this way. Um, if you had asked me back in February or April or even March, like, whether or not I would uh, have, you know, bet or I would have uh, uh, put my finger down on one side or the other, I would have almost invariably definitely said that uh, he would be voted out of office. But there's definitely been a softening over these past uh, few weeks or perhaps a month or so. And I guess you could you could uh, put that on election fatigue. You could put that on um, the fact that he's kind of kept his head down and done pretty much what a mayor is supposed to do for these last couple of uh, uh, weeks or month or so, and he's been pretty quiet. Then there was the apology that he made to the city council where he stood there. He said he was sorry for running for president, and uh, he knew that some people felt abandoned. Then he took the insults from the DPP city councilors, uh, the most uh, vicious of whom was uh, Chen Shui-bian's son, Chen, uh, Chen Zizong, uh, he he was pretty pretty nasty in his response, and you almost felt sorry for Han, you know, despite all of his his faults. It, it didn't look it didn't look nice to see a guy getting kicked while he was down. Now you can read that any way you want. If you feel that that's a political ploy that he was deploying, well, I understand that completely. Or you can see it as a sincere gesture of uh, humility. He also did a video where he appeared uh, on Facebook and he asked his supporters not to vote. Uh, 
it's sort of like surrendering to the will of the people, saying, you know, um, it's just like almost a, uh, Jesus said Gethsemane, not my will but thine be done, and sort of, you know, I, I submit to whatever is coming, and my people just sit this out, and let's... So he's he's kind of gone on this this um, humility kick over the past couple of, of weeks, and it does seem to be working to a degree. I'm talking to lots of people who previously had told me that, oh, without question, I'm voting him out. Now they're going, uh, we can put up with this guy until 2022. Uh, you know, we got if you do this election, then in three months we're going to have another election, then we're going to have another election. Do we really want to take all this time? Da, da, da. There is still a hardcore group of young people uh, led by Aaron Yin. They have been marching every night in the streets of Kaohsiung. They've been on the uh, Sun Yat-sen campus, uh, various other places. They wear yellow ribbons. They are hardcore, and they are definitely going to be lining up there. But I question whether a lot of the over 40-year-olds are going to, at the last minute, decide, you know, maybe I'll sit this one out. Then comes the rumors of gangster activity. And the Kaohsiung City Police have allocated 500 additional officers and also said they're going to uh, do their best to crack down on this. But think about it. If Han Guoyu has told his people, don't vote, then almost by default, anybody who shows up at the polling station technically would be voting against him. So you don't really need to even have some thug holding a, you know, a stick standing there by the uh, polling station. All you need is some guy in a BMW parked you know, just around the corner of the school snapping photos of people who are going in and then perhaps you know, threatening to pay somebody a visit or maybe they say that they were going to do something like that. That could be enough as well to, to uh, you know, lower some of the, the, the vote. Then we have the so-called dirty tricks that are going around, and these are things that have been put on the Internet. Some of it has photographic proof, but of course it's very hard to determine whether or not this is you know, real or not, so I can't speak to 100% of its uh, veracity. But we've seen things like warden chiefs, especially in more rural areas or township, you know, Lizang people, saying that you need to sign your name and your address before you're allowed to vote, saying that if you don't have the voting notice or that, that newspaper that they give, I don't know what the proper English term for that is, but every household receives a very large piece of paper that has all of the grievances on why somebody should be removed and then the rebuttal at the bottom. Uh, they're saying if you don't have either one of those, you won't be able to vote. So, of course, that's not true. All you need is an ID card and that says you are a Kaohsiung resident and you can vote. Also, the CEC had to come out a couple days ago and say that they had not mandated that people wear masks during voting because that was a rumor that was going around. So those things to me seem like clear indications to attempt to suppress a little bit. Yesterday I saw a report from Jia Xian. Now Jia Xian is way out in the middle of nowhere. It's literally like 70 kilometers from downtown Kaohsiung. And the person on Facebook was asking if it was legal for the township or uh, village chief to videotape or film the process of the election, which he is claiming he needs to do for fairness. So is that legal? I'm not sure. I'm not a lawyer. But things like this uh, definitely, I believe, are going to push the vote down a little bit. And the softening aspect of it as well, even the most militant of my friends is not as angry as they were a couple months ago. So as it stands right now, I'm actually leaning towards uh, acquittal, if that's what we uh, could call it. 
let me just first put in a word for Jiaxin. Uh, those of you who haven't been there, it's a fantastic little town, the home of the taro. Oh, yeah. Uh, and I highly recommend their taro ice cream uh, and, a, and a day there. It's really a wonderful little I visit. Uh, town. I visit about once every couple months. It is. It's awesome. I, I have a couple of questions for you, Michael. Um, yes. Historically, these recalls have always failed, uh, except for a few township-level recalls, yes. because the turnout has been too low. Correct. Now, of course, the turnout requirement has been lowered significantly, I believe, from 50 to 25 percent. Uh, but is the turnout going to be high enough for there to be an actual decision about Mr. Heim? So, um, according to something I received yesterday from, uh, I believe this is from the CEC, they said that the exact number of people who will need to vote is 574,996 people. And if even one more yes vote than no vote comes in, then he will be removed. Otherwise, it goes the other way. So this is a huge issue, and uh, schools from Shinzu to Taipei to Taichung have been offering students free rides back home to be able to vote. Um, they are only allowed to do this legally, of course, if they do not specify which way you are allowed to vote. So uh, the, the high-speed rail has offered discounts, uh, trains have offered... So there's, there's, a, there's plenty of options for people to return, but whether they will or not is a very, very big question. Then... The other issue that I'm seeing a lot when I talk to just random friends and people is intergenerational uh, harmony. So let's say you have a, a home where the grandfather or the father, for example, is a supporter of Marahan, but perhaps the daughter or the granddaughter is not. And, you know, the older generation might say, hey, look, we're sitting this out. You know, why don't you just sit this out, too? This is, you know, this is beneath us. Let's not get our family involved in a, a squabble over nothing. And this happens during presidential elections, too. But usually, because it's a bigger deal to vote for president, most of the time the younger people, you know, they might pay lip service to their parents and say, yes, yes, I'm voting for, you know, whoever. But then they go and they do what they want in the polling station. But this time around, it's a difference between going or not going. During a presidential election, the grandfather is going to go, too, if you get what I'm saying, right? So there's, there's that. There's this element of, you know, let's, let's just have peace and harmony. And the fact that he has put on this um, mantle of humility over the past uh, period of time has really affected some of the fence-sitters, I believe. And many of those, those people are looking at him and going, you know, I don't like him. Uh, none of my friends like him. We wish he hadn't been elected, but he was, and we'll dump him in 2022. So I question very much if, he, if the number is there. If he is thrown out, I think it's going to be by us. Um, let me put it this way. I would predict that if, if he's removed, it will be 30%, under 30% of the electorate would vote. And the other way, it will be, it will be between 20 and 30. It will be close either way. So we're talking about a few percentage points on either side. How, how's that for a prediction? Uh, my, my second question uh, is a bit Taipei-centric. Uh, up here in Taipei... Um, as a resident for close to 30 years now, I would say that it doesn't really matter that much who's mayor. The city just seems to tick along. It's made a lot of progress. It's basically run by civil servants who have long-term 
plans and they get basically get carried out. Individual mayors, even ones like Chen Shui-bian, who had a reputation for being a really effective mayor, don't seem to really actually do that much here. What about in Kaohsiung? Uh, is, is the mayor's performance really that important? And has Han Guoyu really done such a terrible job? Well, thank you for mentioning the uh, Taipei-centricness. We here in Kaohsiung are, uh, yeah, we have a bit of a chip on our shoulder over the general Taipei-centricness of Taiwan in general. <laughs> but um, Point well taken. <laughs> yeah, ta- Taiwan is more than Taipei is a sticker that I would like to have on my car. But anyway, um, the, the, there is a difference. There seriously is. And when he was elected, uh, the feeling when he was inaugurated on, the, the, on Christmas Day 2018 he took a boat up the Love River, and it was followed by cameras. And the inauguration, he spoke a little bit in English. I was the first Western journalist to speak to him after that, and he, he took the questions in English uh, for ICRT. Tim Berge, the station manager, and I uh, spoke with him. It, he, he was a superstar, and he has remained in the spotlight since that time. And he's not the first Kaohsiung mayor to do this. The first, uh, in my view, the one who started the trend of being like an icon for the city would be the former mayor, Chen Zhu. And she served for nearly 12 years. And her image, they called her Huama after the, after the Japanese cartoon that's quite popular here of a housewife uh, who sort of looks like uh, Chen Zhu. Her image was on buses or on uh, the cards for transportation or on the calendars that we would get at the end of the year. Now, I, don't, I can't imagine seeing like a, a Cohen's a picture on the, uh, a, a calendar. I, uh, maybe I'm wrong, but the, the Kaohsiung mayor does have much more of an image of uh, like a, a face of the city. So he's followed on all of his inspection tours. He chose not to attend the TV debate on Saturday, which was his last chance to make a defense of himself. And instead, he went out to a, a flooded rice field somewhere out in, in the boonies and uh, helped some farmer clean up uh, from the flooding that has happened over the, the last... We had some torrential rain over the last couple of weeks. So he, he decided not to do that. Again, I see that as part of his humility strategy. And, you know, whatever happens, happens. The people decide. I'm going to accept them. But, uh, yeah, your point is, 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 uh, is valid. There is a big difference uh, between the mayor in Taipei, which does sort of run uh, autonomously in a way, and down here. Um, I even see a difference between the Taichung mayor as well. Jason Hu may have been an exception in, as a, a more of a, a vocal sort of in-your-face uh, mayor. But uh, for the last couple of ones, uh, definitely, and Han is followed daily. He is, he's within the top three stories of the news on every channel every day down here. So, yes, there is a difference. Well, let's move on from the cult of the Kaohsiung mayor and talk <laughs> about the latest coronavirus news from here in Taiwan this week. And the Central Epidemic Command Centre reported just one new infection this week when on Monday health officials confirmed that a woman who went to the United States for work in March and returned to Taiwan on Sunday had contracted the virus whilst in America, meaning that the number of cases here in Taiwan stands at 443 still since the pandemic began late last year and as of the time we're recording this show. Now, in other coronavirus-related news this week, 
Premier Su Jing Chung finally announced the finalised plans for the government's coronavirus recovery consumer coupon system, which has been dubbed the Triple Stimulus Voucher Programme, and we can't actually call them coupons for some reason or other, but apparently they're vouchers, not coupons. Now, Su said it's hoped the programme will encourage spending at brick-and-mortar stores and boost the leisure industry. People are allowed to purchase 3,000 NT worth of the vouchers for 1,000 NT, while those who choose to use electronic or credit card payments will receive a 2,000 NT refund after spending 3,000 NT. And the Ministry of Foreign Affairs announced this week that public health here in Taiwan will remain the top priority when the government begins discussing the mutual relaxation of border restrictions with other countries. And that statement follows reports that Japan and Greece are soon set to open their borders to several countries, but apparently Taiwan is not on either of those lists. So, Michael, in the studio, the, the stimulus vouchers finally came out. Well, they certainly did, and uh, I hope that they're successful because Taiwan's economy uh, will really need some help over these coming months. Uh, it's it's uh, important that the government uh, get some money out there and get consumers shopping. Um, I will point out that... Uh, once again, uh, tax-paying residents and foreign permanent residents are excluded from this program uh, uh, unless they happen to be married, even though in the case of permanent residents, they've been paying taxes in Taiwan for at least five years and often for many more years uh, than that. It just illustrates a reoccurring problem where the government forgets that uh, it does have foreign residents in Taiwan. And of course, Michael in Kaohsiung, there was some controversy over whether you could use these to buy things online, whereas the government was a bit concerned that e-commerce companies might not be in Taiwan and the money might not be going to Taiwan, which caused a bit of a stink in two of the newspapers when one of the newspapers this week pointed out that, hey, if someone wants to book a holiday online with their coupons and they're staying in a hotel in Hualien, for example, surely the hotel is in Taiwan because it's in Hualien quite obviously. Yeah, um, it's a, it's a, it, I see their I see their their concern because you know if you're going to buy uh, new headphones from Amazon or something, that's not going to stimulate Taiwan's economy much. But yeah, I don't know how you could completely ban using the internet, especially because they're going to be able to use them on on, on uh, with uh, credit cards. But um, yeah, I, I echo uh, Michael in the studio's uh, comment that. Uh, uh, I, I'm married, so I will be benefiting from this. But yes, it is certainly unfair that that's uh, the case. Also, um, they're not uh, extending this to the uh, immigrant labor that uh, works in Taiwan. So, uh, you know, if you're a factory worker, uh, I don't see any reason why those people shouldn't be able to go out and spend some money and stimulate the economy as well. It just, again, is, uh, it, you know, I'm loath to accuse uh, people of racism, but it does. It does have that feeling to it of, uh, if, if nothing else, as Michael said, it's a certain, it's a lack of understanding. And uh, finally, again, echoing Michael, there is a lot of suffering going on that people just aren't seeing, especially those of us in our little bubble. Be you an English teacher or you have a job that is, you know, outside of the, the, the main um, circle of, of work in Taiwan. You know, everything from gas stations to restaurants to whatever, they've been laying off people. They've been downsizing hours. They've been... The, this virus has not left Taiwan's economy unscathed, although it has left our people re relatively uh, unscathed health-wise. 
but the economy is suffering and people are hurting. And uh, if this does some good, then hopefully uh, it will be a positive thing. I do wish they had made it a little bit more broad. And Michael, in the studio, the Ministry of Foreign Affairs said, of course, they're looking at how to open the borders and looking at other countries opening borders. But of course, when the coronavirus issue started, Taiwan was lumped with China when people closed their borders. Do you think Taiwan could be lumped with China now? People are going to open their borders. I think it just really reflects the fact that Taiwan's international profile just isn't that high. Uh, most countries uh, aren't 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 thinking that carefully about Taiwan when they make these plans, uh, and a lot of the reaction in Taiwan, I think, is really related to uh, the the decision in Japan, because as the former colonial power, uh, Japan and what Japan thinks of Taiwan is really important to the Taiwanese people. It's by far the most popular place for Taiwanese mm-hmm. people to visit, and. Taiwan has done a fantastic job of of combating uh, the coronavirus, possibly the best in the world, except maybe Palau. And it's just disappointing not to get any recognition for the incredible job that uh, Taiwan does, especially by the former colonial power who is so important to so many people in Taiwan. Yeah, agreed. So, Michael, do you see a Michael in Kaohsiung? That is, do you see a, maybe a, a kickback coming if Japan doesn't put Taiwan on its list of countries to be allowed to go there? Do you think Taiwanese people will go? Well, maybe I won't go to Japan on holiday anymore. Maybe I'll go somewhere else. No, I do not. Um, the links, especially down here in the south, uh, the links between, uh, and the reason I say this, uh, this because of the south is that much of the uh, old infrastructure and things that were built, you know, uh, aside from the presidential office. Much of the old Japanese stamp on Taipei, except for several, you know, small areas in the city, was wiped out in bombing raids during World War II. But we still have some very, very visible signs. We have the Martyr Shrine, which was a Shinto temple. We have the original train station, which was built by the Japanese. We have the Hamashin area, the rail lines, all of that, where people fly kites and hang out. The the connection to Japan is deep. Plus, if you speak any Taiwanese, you know that, eh, I don't know, maybe something as high as 15% of the words that we use in Taiwanese are are, are, are variations of Japanese terms. You know, take a autobike, which is autobike and used for motorcycle. So the connection is just too deep. And while some people might be disappointed, I think overall people will understand that this is a, you know, a Japanese overabundance of caution. And, you know, the Japanese, for the most part, like Taiwanese visitors. So I think as soon as they get around to it, they are going to open those borders. And no, I can't imagine people going, uh, yeah, you know, forget about that. We're going to go to the Philippines instead. Uh, those who, who, who like Japan are going to continue to like Japan. And we have to take a short break now, but we will return after these rather important commercials. Welcome back to Taiwan this week, and we're going to talk immigration now and how Taiwan's much-lauded response to the coronavirus outbreak and simmering US-China tensions have led to an increased interest in coming to the country. Now, the current government has made attracting foreign talent one of its main priorities as it looks to lure investment, and that desire was further added to this week following the cabinet's earmarking of a 10 billion NT programme aimed at getting international emerging technology companies to invest in research and development here in Taiwan. 
and Michael in the studio. Of course, you've long been a major player in seeking reform of the immigration law here in Taiwan. And of course, the government has been touting its employment gold card program as a way to make it easier for foreign special professionals to come and live and work here. But there remain some questions, apparently, over economic immigration and some hurdles in regards to dual nationality. So where do you want to begin there? Well, let's first say that that uh, because of Taiwan's success in handling the pandemic, uh, Taiwan is at the moment enjoying an unprecedented degree of attention for something that Taiwan has done itself, uh, and and the reputational uh, value that Taiwan has gotten from this, you know, really outstanding performance. Uh, is is something that really should be capitalized on right now. And if Taiwan is serious about attracting uh, foreign talent, uh, this is the moment to do it. Uh, so, so you said that the the government was uh, you know touting its employment gold card. I feel like uh, I do a lot more touting of it than the government does. Uh, the one thing, the gold card program was uh, the National Development Council's idea, and I have to say that I was originally skeptical about it. Uh, but it has been a modest but definite success. Uh, it offers uh, a, an unprecedented degree of freedom for foreigners to come and work here in Taiwan. Uh, about 780 cards have been issued so far, and I've had the privilege of meeting a number of employment gold cards, and they are a wonderfully diverse and talented cohort of people, everyone from, you know, people who do data warehousing architecture to uh, a Finnish tap dancer who used to be a man. So it's a really diverse group of people, and, and it's great that Taiwan is attracting them, and it's, it's one of the biggest successes Taiwan's immigration uh, reforms have had. Uh, far more successful, for example, than the entrepreneurial visa that, that uh, never really did anything. The only problem with it is, is the government isn't marketing it, and the number of people, really over two years, 780 people, just isn't that much. Uh, and with a little bit of marketing right now, uh, that number could be tripled or quadrupled uh, easily. So that that would be the you know I think a little bit needs more needs to be done to publicize it. Now the uh, as as uh, People who've lived, you know, foreigners who've lived in Taiwan for a long time all know uh, the big issue facing us uh, is dual nationality. Uh, that uh, I, I've been working with a group for Forward Taiwan advocating for immigration reform in Taiwan for the last seven years, it's been. And we've had uh, a lot, or we've had a lot of success. Uh, basically, everything that we've asked for. Uh, in 2013 has been granted uh, with a few items that remain to be um, taken care of in the new Im Economic Immigration Act that is now pending before the legislator, legislature. Uh, so if that passes, we've gotten everything that we've asked for except for better access to dual nationality. Uh, and as everybody knows, in 2017, a very, very narrow window opened up for uh, people who've made, you know, outstanding contributions to Taiwan uh, and also what they call senior foreign professionals uh, to become 
Taiwanese citizens without having to give up their original nationality. And uh, about 100 or so people have gotten it for contributions to Taiwan. Uh, and those have included, uh, you know, missionaries of various faiths who've, who've devoted their entire lives to helping some of Taiwan's most underprivileged people. And that's been great to see. And but the number of senior professionals has surpassed uh, that. I believe it's around 130 right now. Uh, and those are some, you know, very, you know, you know, extraordinary talents, you know, researchers, uh, you know, international lawyers, uh, people who, uh, um, you know, have been involved in international organizations are, are, are getting this. We think that it needs to be expanded a little bit, uh, and we're trying, we're asking the government, uh, to consider allowing people who've been permanent residents for, let's say, five years or seven years or maybe even 10 years, uh, allow them to become dual nationals as well. Uh, and, and, you know, the numbers of these people are not that great. There's only about 18,000 permanent residents in Taiwan, uh, and most of those became permanent residents after 2013, when it became easier to become a permanent resident. So we're not talking about a huge number of people being able to become dual nationals. In addition, uh, we would suggest that to allay concerns about that, that some kind of quota be placed on it. Maybe no more than 500 can become dual nationals every year, and you might have to wait in line for a few years. Uh, but we think that gradually expanding access to dual nationality would be the capstone on Taiwan's immigration reforms over the past decade. Can I ask a question? Of course. Um, would you also advocate for there being some sort of, uh, I guess, citizenship test, such as uh, there is in the United States, where you have to demonstrate some ability of uh, knowledge of either the Constitution or laws or language or something like that? There already is a language and citizenship test that you have to pass when you naturalize uh, unless you're one of the people who's getting it for outstanding contributions to Taiwan. Although I can tell you that most of the missionaries and the other people who are getting it for outstanding contributions uh you know, speak fantastic Mandarin, and many of them speak excellent Taiwanese, and they have no problems passing the citizenship uh, test. Um, for foreign professionals in general, uh, the, the other immigrants, um, for example, marriage immigrants who come to Taiwan, usually don't have any trouble passing this test either. You can take it in writing or you can take it uh, orally. The people who actually have trouble passing it are professionals who come to Taiwan, for example, maybe after the age of 30, and because they're really busy, uh, they never really have the time that it takes to learn uh, Chinese. So then they get to the point where they're considering dual nationality, and they're faced with this test, which is a real barrier for some people. But, but I think that tests like this are something that we see all over the world, and the ones in Taiwan are not that difficult. Uh, they're basically just asking you questions like, uh, you know, uh, is the president elected or is the president appointed and so on and so forth? Uh, what number do you call if you're a victim of domestic violence? It's very common sense and straightforward. And some people who do not speak good Mandarin have been able to pass the test just by cramming for a couple months beforehand. So I, I, I think it's fine. Another question. Um, 
my family, I personally have lived in Taiwan for approaching 30 years, if not uh, longer than that, if I tally up all the times uh, since uh, I first came as a child, I believe, in 1984. Um, but uh, out of the 10 brothers and sisters, so there's 10 siblings in my family, I'm the eldest, the last five were all born in Taiwan. But every single one of them, when they reached the age of 20, at that time, that was the law. I know it's been extended now to 26. When they reached the age of 20, they were sent back, I'm putting that in quotations, to a country that they had either never been to or had either visited once and had no knowledge of. And it was a traumatic experience for them. Now, I know there's been some loosening of this. You're allowed to stay longer. But I wonder if these sort of kids, kids who were born in Taiwan to foreign nationals, well, I wonder if they shouldn't be kind of at the top of the list for dual nationality. Well, I, I certainly agree. I think that um, uh, another thing the government should consider for when considering applicants for dual nationality is there could be some kind of point system. Uh, and you might get points for uh, speaking Chinese well. And another thing you might be able to get points for is being born in Taiwan or having grown up here or gone to school here. Uh, I think all of those are important factors in, in you know, weighing who gets, uh, you know, the, the, the privilege of Taiwanese citizenship, which I don't think should be given out uh, lightly. Um, that said, uh, I'm very happy to report that um, one of the most uh, the, the things that Forward Taiwan did advocate for it was our idea. Uh, it was a response to what we were hearing from the community. Uh, has been uh, an improvement in the situation for people like your siblings. I don't know if uh, these changes will help them, but in the future, this shouldn't happen anymore. And that's because, uh, as you mentioned, in 2014, it became possible to get three extensions of uh, two extensions of three years each of residence uh, uh, after you turn 20. But more importantly, when the Foreign Professional Act passed in 2018, uh, it became possible for the children of foreign professional permanent residents who grew up in Taiwan uh, to get work permits and residence cards even after they turn 20. And also people who have not turned 20 who are the children of foreign permanent professional residents, can get permanent residence before they turn 20. Now, I know that doesn't help everybody, but I think that it helps about 90 to 95% of people who are turning 20 today who grew up in Taiwan. For most people, for almost everybody now, there's a, there's a way to stay, even if they can't become dual nationals right away. Yeah, the work thing was a big issue because, like for myself, I'm a permanent resident, and I went into the Labor Department, and I have an open work permit, which allows me to virtually do anything from, you know, open a hot dog stand to drive a cab, right? But uh, having a ARC, an ARC, without having the right to work is somewhat meaningless for a lot of young people because, you know, some of them are not planning on going to college or... And, 
and their parents are not planning on supporting them indefinitely, so they definitely need to be able to work. It's just <laughs> common sense. Absolutely. The, the new work permits that, uh, that people over 20 who grew up in Taiwan can get, and there's no age limit on that. Uh, it, it probably is, is a little bit age limited by, uh, you know, the year 2000 when permanent residence came into effect. But they have a personal work permit that is has the same rights as the one that you're describing for permanent residents. So they can do any kind of basically any kind of job that doesn't require a special license in Taiwan. So it's so it's it's really a, a vast it's a huge amount of progress because yeah. as a, as you know my personal story is a involves some five years of shuttling back and forth on visa runs, and I'm sure lots of other people have had these stories as well. And it just seemed so ridiculous such a farce to have to do this every six months for years and years and walk into an, uh, a visa office in Hong Kong or the Philippines or somewhere and say, yeah, I'm, uh, I'm uh, still being a tourist. There's a lot of stuff to see over there. You know, <laughs> it was frustrating. Yeah, uh, Michael, let me just emphasize for the listeners that, you know, these days there's a lot of talk about things like, uh, you know, the employment gold card, which is, which is, you know, a fantastic option for people who are just arriving in Taiwan. But for those of us who want to live in Taiwan uh, long term or, or decide to stay here, whether you're married or whatever, your real goal should be to obtain permanent residence as quickly as possible. It is absolutely transformative. Uh, you don't have to, you know, make any trips out of the country. You don't have to extend your visa. Uh, you can work at any kind of job. Uh, you can't vote in elections. But other than that, uh, you basically enjoy most of the rights and privileges of citizens. Uh, every once in a while, there's something like these vouchers that come out that we don't get. Um, but it's really not that big of a deal in the grand scheme of things. Permanent residence uh, is 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 a fantastic way to be in Taiwan, and I would encourage everyone who could possibly become eligible for it to get it as soon as possible. Yes. And talking of immigration, but the other end of it, the Ministry of the Interior this week announced plans to offer rewards of up to 20,000 NT for information leading to the arrest of foreign nationals who overstay their visas. Now, that announcement comes as a three-month amnesty program for foreign nationals who have, well, overstayed their visas. Well, that's set to expire at the end of this month. And, of course, there's been some foreigners here who have been stuck here, Michael, in the studio due to the coronavirus thing and basically... Had to get extensions all the time and now people are going to be paid to dib people in what could go wrong well i I think a lot could go wrong gavin uh this is not a good idea uh yeah you know i i understand that um you know what's happening is that there the the taiwanese government has been very generous to people who entered visa free and has given three uh, one-month extensions that just happened automatically. But, you know, people who arrived in January and February are coming up on their 180-day limit, and it's entirely foreseeable that there are going to be people who are going to overstay, and that's against the law, and you certainly should not do that, uh, not only because it's against the law, but also because it will jeopardize your future immigration status in Taiwan, and you'll lose visa-exempt entries and so on and so forth. Don't overstay. That said, uh, a reporting program is just a bad idea. Uh, it, 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 It will... You know, it will make foreigners in Taiwan, you know, feel uncomfortable and like they're being watched. And uh, another thing is, is that the 
the, some of the most likely people to get caught, as it were, are going to be foreign musicians and performers. Uh, we've had several waves of this over the years uh, because, you know, foreigners who perform in public in one way or the other are really easy targets. Uh, all you have to do is show up at a place that's often advertised online and take a few pictures and you can get these rewards by turning people in. And there are people who do this professionally. Uh, and, and it's led to some good people uh, having to leave Taiwan and not being able to come back. Um, Michael, wouldn't you, wouldn't you argue, though, that the majority of the people who have overstayed, if we're going to look at it from a broader perspective, are probably not those type of people, but are probably more likely to be Vietnamese or other Southeast Asian workers? Well, no, because those people... Uh, well, well, certainly there are there are. I mean, there've always been rewards for for uh, turning in people who are working illegally. Uh, and yes, the, there's about fifty thousand, um, you know, uh, migrant workers in Taiwan who, for one reason or another, have have overstayed and are probably working illegally. Uh, and they're you know, condition and whether they're being exploited or not and, you know, is, 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 is a definite concern. I, this is really targeted at people who enter visa exempt. I see. Uh, and uh, because people from Vietnam and the Philippines cannot enter visa exempt. Uh, and what we found out when the pandemic hit is that we had always known that there were a fair number of foreigners who were using Taiwan's generous visa-free, you know, visa-exempt entry to live in Taiwan without ever regularizing their resident status. They just take trips every three months and come back. And, right. and there were people doing very productive things in Taiwan, you know, digital nomads, uh, people, um, you know, because so many jobs today don't require you to uh, to be in one particular place. I do have to emphasize that if you're working in Taiwan for a foreign company, even if you're sitting at home, that you need a work permit to do that. Uh, so, so you know, I'm not condoning that kind of behavior, but it's it's a fact. I even know people who have retired to Taiwan this year this way and have been retired in Taiwan for five years or so. Uh, and have been using the visa exempt because Taiwan doesn't have a retirement visa option. It turns out that there have been a lot of people who've been doing this, uh, including, uh, you know, I, I've always wondered since it's illegal to teach English in a kindergarten for foreigners, where right. all the foreigners were coming from who were doing this. And it seems that they were coming here visa exempt. Uh, so it's really these people that this program is 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 targeted. Uh, but I still, you know, don't overstay. But I don't think the government uh, needs to be rewarding people for turning people turning people in. I don't think that's the kind of society Taiwan wants to be. Yeah, I'm with you on that. Uh, the only exemption is that I would uh, add is. We had a couple of cases here recently in, in Kaohsiung, one specifically of a, an individual who had overstayed by 12 years, I believe, and he was wanted on felony charges in America using a false passport. And he'd been involved in altercations like physical fights with every girlfriend he'd had, almost every person he'd come across. And, and I remember meeting him and going, there's, there's just something wrong about this dude. He, he can't be here legally, and it turned out he wasn't. So there, there are a few cases, but then it's very unfortunate when the news pumps up those few cases and turns it into uh, sort of, I don't know, witch hunt or uh, xenophobia and all of that. So, yeah, I'm with you on not giving rewards for snitches. 
And before we go this week, Taiwan's most famous bookstore closed its doors after 31 years at midnight on May the 31st. The Eslite Dunnan store opened in 1989 and became a 24-hour venue for bookworms and insomniacs alike in 1999. Now it later made international news when foreign publications and cable news networks touted its place in Taipei's day and night cultural landscape. So, Michael in the studio, do you remember Eslite? Did you go there? And do you have a story about how wonderful Eslite was? Well, certainly, as a 30-year resident of Taipei, I've been to uh, Dunan as a Changpin Eslite. Um, never really known how to pronounce its English name, to be honest. Yeah, yeah me uh, either. Eslite is what I go uh, with. <laughs> uh, but anyway, uh, it it yeah, absolutely, it has a place in the city's history. Um, it. You know, you'll, Gavin, you'll remember that back in the 90s, uh, there weren't too many places in Taipei that you could just kind of go out and uh, hang out inside in the air conditioning in a relatively nicely designed space and look at books. And, you know, now there are cafes everywhere. And so so I think that the function of uh, that 24-hour bookstore has been taken over. But And it, it was also, I think, perhaps the first... Um, lifestyle brand that Taiwan had, you know, like an Apple or a Starbucks, where, you know, the fact that you go to this bookstore and look at, you know, expensive design books about how to make it, you know, to do an Italian kitchen or, or this kind of thing, you know, says something about what kind of person you are. And I don't think, you know, Taiwan has many famous brands that are loved, like a Datong, you know, rice cookers come to mind or, mm -hmm. uh, you know, Shasher or this kind of thing. But I think that Esleep might have been Taiwan's first lifestyle type brand. So it does play an important part. The I, I will say that personally, I've always preferred the smaller bookstores in the area around Taiwan National University, particularly near Wenzhou Jia. I'd like to give a shout out to SMC Publishing on Wenzhou Jia and, of course, the Taiwan Diam, uh, the Taiwan store, which is a wonderful Taiwan-centric bookstore that everyone should visit. Even if you can't read the books, it's got some uh, great posters and other things that you can buy. And Michael in Kaohsiung, when you used to live in Taipei, of course, do you have an elite story and do you remember it fondly? Uh, yes, I, I spent at least 15 years up there. Uh, and uh, I will add a, a little different of a flavor. Uh, many of my gay friends tell me that back in the day, that was, this is way before, you know, a gay marriage or same-sex marriage or was even on the horizon of a possibility or it, there was even any talk about gay rights or much, or much talk in Taiwan. They told me that uh, they used to use that place not so much as like a hookup <laughs> joint, but as a place where they could safely meet uh, to late hours and chat and uh, read books together. And it was a, it was a community uh, center for them. So uh, that was my little uh, memory of it, of, of, of talking to, to friends. And uh, uh, they, they felt safe there. And that was just something, something nice to, to hear. So I'll miss it for a whole bunch of reasons. Uh, I know there's a several other of them that are still going to be in existence in Taipei, and I think they're going to designate at least one of them as partially 24 hours open, so it's not completely over. But yeah, it's a, it's a, a, a bittersweet moment. And that's where we'll leave it here this week on Taiwan This Week, and I've been joined in the studio today by Michael Fahey. 
Thank you for having me, Gavin. And on the telephone in Kaohsiung by Michael Smith. Yes, same for me. Thanks for tuning in to this week's edition of Taiwan This Week here on ICRT with me, Gavin Phipps. And don't forget to check out Taiwan This Week podcast on iTunes and Android podcast apps where you can get access to all our previous shows. Tune in again next Friday evening at 9 for another informative look at the top stories of the week with Taiwan This Week. And don't forget to also check out our podcast on our website, icrt.com.tw. Now keep it here for more music and news only on ICRT FM 100.